welcome. I am so glad you're here. I'm your host, Meg Berryman, and you are listening to the Beyond Being Well podcast, a show dedicated to helping women leaders like you take your wellness journey to your wholeness journey and beyond. Join me as we explore relationships, work, money, health, and purpose, and interview the best of the best in women's empowerment so that you can love deeply, expand fully, and contribute to a better tomorrow. So let's get cozy, settle in, and dive straight into the magic. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Being Well podcast. This is your host, Meg, and this episode I am not going to be hosting. My partner, husband, lover, co-parent, best friend is here, Dave. Um, Dave Hale is here to interview me, and we generally have a theme about what we're going to talk about, but I have no idea where this podcast is going and I'm a little bit like nervous not like Mm -hmm. flirty nervous like (laughs) I'm just a little bit like I don't know what you're gonna ask me Mm. um so maybe do you want to share why you want to do this podcast with me yeah I think I think there's a few different things that have been mulling around in my brain um I think everything you you write and everything you speak to you know it's obviously all amazing and powerful but they're all these tiny snippets into into you and your experience and your journey and it i i feel like it's quite a tease as well and that there's so much more there um that everyone else potentially misses out on in in the the experience and the journey that i've had i've gotten to see over the years so I feel like that was, you know, it's it's another good opportunity to explore that. I feel like as parents, we get to talk around each other a lot. And so the podcast is a really nice focus to actually talk to each other as well for a, for a nice change. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's an opportunity as well for me to uncover your journey a bit as well and um, I think you've been interviewed by by a number of amazing women you know particularly over the last few months and you know I'm, I'm envious of, of all the questions they get to ask you so um, and I don't have a list of questions in front of me so we'll see where it goes but I think it'll be good I'm excited Okay. Thanks for, thanks for agreeing to come on. Let's do it. To your own podcast. Like I said just now on Instagram, I would rather be watching Bachelor in Paradise, but obviously, such is my commitment to the work uh, and showing up for my business. You know, that's something this year I really decided to, like one of my words for 2019 is commit. Mm. And in my business, like I've just committed, even though I've also committed to birthing and having another child this Mm -hmm. year. And it's been really interesting. And so this tension of like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to show up. Being like really firmly committed to my business and having stuff in my diary and showing up has been such a revelation and Mm. so enjoyable. Well, you could have made the excuse that you committed to Bachelor in Paradise. So... Um, I'm glad you've come here to this tonight. It is my, like, as you know, 
reality TV is my secret single behaviour. It's not a secret. And it's not single because I make you do it too. <laughs> um, all right, should we start? Yeah, I mean, we've started. Like, I guess. What, do you have a question? Yeah, so I, I thought a good place to start would be where you are right now. Sure. And I guess your it's not so much your pivot, but your renewed focus and energy being directed towards towards social leadership, towards feminine leadership. And I guess, you know, what, what does that mean for you? Can you unpack that for me <laughs> as a, yeah, as a beginning? Like, yeah, sure. Um, so I think for years I've been skirting around the social justice stuff in my business for fear that I would scare people off. And yet it's such a big part of who I am and and my journey as well. You know, for a long time I was focused on wellness and well-being because that was where I was at. Like my physical breakdown had caused me to focus on wellness and well-being and, and I'd trained as a wellness coach and yoga is seen as a pathway to wellness. And, and yet... If you look back through my newsletters over the last four or five years, you'll see that like there's this caged animal trying to like come out. And I made so many of these declarations of like I'm not doing wellness, I'm not a wellness coach, and yet no, when it smoothies. yeah, and when it came to like offering my voice into the world, I would lean back on. I guess what I was seeing out there in, in the public and people weren't talking about my random variety of um, passions. Mm. And so I interpreted that as no one's interested in what I have to say, but fast forward to where we are now, which is where your question was yeah. when I birthed now, it was like I birthed my voice. And by that, I mean this year I think all the energetic work I've been doing and the work on rewiring my brain and my body to feel like I'm valuable and lovable and worthy has landed me in a place where I'm like, hang on a minute, I have something to say. And I think a real turning point actually was my conversation with Brooke on the Slow Home podcast because mm. not only did we meet and have these shared passions, but then hearing the feedback on that talk and having all these people show up in my online space and in my circles, I was like, oh, people are interested. And I would love to say that the external validation doesn't sway you as a business owner, but I guess that just gave me more fortitude to show up and talk about the things that I'm passionate about. And that is that as a collective, I think we are falling out of love with capitalism and we are falling out of love with the glorification of masculine attributes and we are falling out of love even with the type of feminism that landed us here. And not to say I'm not super um, appreciative or understanding of how women particularly women not in my privileged position showed up and fought that fight for me. But I think we're at this very interesting time in history where 
as a collective, we're doing this personal development work because we have the space and resources and, you know, Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, like our basic needs are met. So we can work on this self-realization. And I feel like we're at this tipping point of like, so what are we going to do with that personal development? Like, what are we going to do with that awakening? What are we going to do with all of this information and self-awareness? And to me, with my background in kind of social issues and with my upbringing, to me, the question is, and now what? Yeah. There's so many questions. How does that, that, that focus, that energy fit into the air commas well-being picture Mm, such a good question like i keep saying it's not in the way it's the way right so it's not like you have to be like oh it's linear and once i become well and like my basic needs are met and i've done all of this inner work and i'm like this flexible yogi who doesn't have any ounce of like judgment against others which is a unicorn goal in itself, then I'll give back. And that's kind of the mentality, but that's the mentality of capitalism. If you Mm. think about it, right? Like if I work, then I'll rest. If I um, work really, really hard, then I'll retire. Like Mm -hmm. it's that if and then mentality. Whereas my whole thing is, and there's a few of us like banging on about it out there, particularly some of the people in the social, um, in the environmental movement, that focusing on the collective is the way Mm. to achieve well-being we know like there are studies numerous studies done on um what happens when we focus on the collective above ourselves we know that it lowers blood pressure we know that it supports um strong immune systems look at the centenarians in the world right they're community focused individuals and they're living the longest and they're not doing it because they think they shouldn't to tick it off their list. They're doing it because it's culturally part of their lives, like from it's part of the fabric of their societies. And they're doing it because they really intrinsically understand that they're not doing it to get like gold stars and like, you know, they're not doing it because it looks good. They're doing it because it feels good and they can see the benefits and they're living longer because of it. So my whole thing about well-being and social change is we need to remember as a collective that doing good in the world, A, it's not hard, B, like it's great for us and great for the people around us, and C, it's like you think about if you can grow a veggie garden, right, like we're doing. You know, we're trying to very slowly, like Dave and I are, are trying to regenerate our one acre block of land and we think if we can just do that like that's a that's an amazing contribution that's sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere that's Mm. growing our own food and um improving our internal well-being that's teaching our kids how to like grow and and grow food for themselves so they're not consuming glyphosphates and in itself we're impacting the broader market by choosing not to shop at the big supermarkets which like you know all disclosure we do but um that's the aim and all of those things contribute to a sense of well-being the Mm. hand in the soil the food that you're eating the community that you meet when you're engaging in farmers markets like 
these are all things that make us feel really good about ourselves in addition to feeling like we have a purpose in the world. Mm. I read a book a few years ago by a social researcher called Hugh McKay. McKay, McKay. Um, Called The Good Life. And it was all about the the underpinnings of happiness being the contribution that we make as individuals to to a greater good. Um, And that greater good can actually be a really small greater good. It doesn't have to be um, on a global scale. Um, But that's really innate in human nature and that's something that we've lost as a society, as a collective over over a long period of time um and i think it speaks to what what you're saying about how it's not a piece in the jigsaw that's necessarily complementing or or an end point in the well-being journey it's it's essential it's fundamental um could could you imagine five years ago when you were in the depths of overwhelm, of chronic fatigue, that this is where you have ended up? No, obviously <laughs> not. I feel like it was a leading question. Um, but in terms of that trajectory of of speaking about or or living this conscious life around around being you know, a social leader, a feminine leader, um, and how important that would be to your journey and your recovery. Um, it must have, if someone had told you that five years ago, it must have seemed like a world away. I wonder if some people potentially listening to this feel like, God, like that is, it feels like such a big step maybe. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting because if I look back, I remember two really pivotal moments. One, I went through, do you remember when I was really sick and I, for the first time started like heavily reading nonfiction and I started like reading, like getting my hands on any personal development books I could find, but also books about social entrepreneurship. And because that's where we were, like we were starting a social enterprise in Burma and I was just like consuming these nonfiction books. And one of them, I can't even remember the name of it. I was on a plane, um, on a very small, uncomfortable plane traveling, you know, within Burma for my job that I was still in at that time. And I was reading this book and it was talking about how to find your story and how to write your story in terms of like entrepreneurship. And I remember writing, I've still got it. I've, I've still got it. I've, I wrote a list of a hundred things that I wanted to do. And then I wrote in my life and then I wrote this story of like, and, and the book asked, which is kind of ironic because it's now part of the process that I use for awakening sacred social leaders it asks like what are the things people come to you to ask which is really sorry what do people come to you for Mm. and at that time in my life I'd started kind of the physical wellness journey you know back in Canberra where we lived and I'd you know gotten really fit and I'd become a fitness instructor and I started eating really well and like 
batch cooking and and so people were asking me about that but the other thing people always asked me about was like how do I do good in the world like how do I volunteer here like how Mm. do I do what you do like how do I give back in that way and they're the two things that people ask me right Mm. and so when I built my very first website that was the thing that was like how do I make a difference and then how do I get well Mm. they were the two things and so I look back and I'm like holy bananas I could have just cut out five years of like exploration and going down weird avenues but you know the journey's been perfect because the difference is back then I didn't I hadn't gone on this awakening of my whole self, including my feminine self and the owning of that part of me in all that glory that that is. And that's been such a deep journey. So circling back to those two things, now I understand through my spiritual practice and also through all the learning and mentors that I've had that doing good is not what we think it is and also wellness is not what we think it is that actually my conceptualization of those two things has completely changed and I see the interconnectedness of them so much more um, clearly and I see my role and my voice in that so much more clearly than I could have five years ago. Does that answer your question? (laughs) I think so. I was just thinking back to that list. Was that the list or was there another list that contained... Uh, hug a whale on it. No, no, it was save a whale. I'm pretty sure it was hug a whale. No, no, it was save a whale. <laughs> Still have not accomplished that. But again, like that's, no, was that's right. like so telling of where I was at at that stage of like I was, I remember even Googling like how do I find my life purpose because I knew <laughs> within me that there was this deep desire to like find my purpose and once I found that it would be amazing and I just... I have so much compassion for that part of me then, you know, because yes, I've found purpose, but it's not just something external that you go out and buy or seek or, or get, you know, get. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I mean, it's really easy talking about it now and, and writing about it as you do. This was, you know, this wasn't a five-minute moment in your life. This was a long period with a lot of pain. Do you do you feel like you would have gotten to where you are now had it not been for 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 what you had been through? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I would have, but it would have taken me a lot longer. Mm. You know, they say that the, the things that cause the biggest earthquakes in your life are the, are the three Ds, right? Death, divorce, disease. Mm. They're the three things that make you, like, stop and be like, what am I actually doing? What do I believe in? What are my values? But in me, I'm incredibly, like, multi-passionate as a person and I feel like I'm not satisfied with feeling uncomfortable. And so I think Mm. within that, I've always actually believed in people's potential and my own potential. 
and that seeking part of me is so deep and I believe like innate that I would have got here, there, wherever, Mm. but it it wouldn't have been with such force (laughs) that I had to work it out when one is bedridden. I mean, it's really hard for me to reflect on that because it's, it was such a deeply painful period for me. Like from your perspective, what did you see me going through? Cause we've never talked about it really in that depth. Well, yeah, not, not in such a focused way. I mean, it was, it was just suffering and it was so painful for me to watch, you know, the person I love suffer like that. And and I guess you don't really know the depths of what is being experienced because I guess when you're in it, you sort of don't have the counterpoint or the, the, the hindsight to appreciate, you know, how bad it necessarily was. And, and every day it was just kind of, well, we just got to get through today, don't we? And you don't really see the, the um the accumulation of and the trajectory of getting worse and worse bit by bit by bit um and equally it was interesting back then to see um how yes you you did have to um, you know, you're reading so much and you're learning so much and you're discovering so much, but, you know, it, it almost was like a tipping point for you. Um, and that was striking as well, obviously, um, that you were setting off on this, what seemed like a new direction and you, you, we'd come to an intersection and you'd kind of gone left and I'd gone straight and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> U turn. <laughs> uh, not even turn left. You you'd gone. You'd done a U turn. <laughs> you're going the other way. Um, so so that was confronting as well. Um, whereas I guess I was expecting the recovery would bring you back to the path that we had been on originally, and that I that I was still on as mm. well. Um, so there was there was catching up for me to do. Are you glad, like, are you glad that that happened? Like, um, given our life now? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad with where we are now and to be doing what we're doing. Um, I, I can't say, you know, it's a really hard question because it's so enmeshed like those experiences are enmeshed in the outcome of where we are yeah so I'd like the outcome without the (laughs) suffering and suffering (laughs) that is like your motto it's like how can we get to that place without any discomfort at all whereas I'm now like how much can we stay in the discomfort how uncomfortable can we be um I'm I'm wondering though for people listening that may not have had that transcendence or that one of those D's perhaps 
what's what's the motivation for them to change where they are, not necessarily change, but to grow from where they are mm. into doing the kind of things that you're talking about? Mm. So when I talk about leadership, I'm really not, I'm really changing the, trying to change the conversation around what leadership is in a more feminine way. Mm. And so just to backtrack, there are two energies that everyone has and everything has in nature, you know, the masculine and the feminine. We both have both and one is usually more expressed than the other. Mm. And if you look at society as a whole, what you will see is that there has been a overt focus on the expression of the masculine, which is an energy of kind of pushing and doing and containing and planning and achieving mm -hmm. as opposed to the feminine qualities of receptivity, inclusiveness, um, connection, collaboration, uh, intuition. Mm -hmm. So what that has meant is that women who may or may not have more of their feminine expressed have been um, have been kind of their, their innate qualities may have been relegated but it mm. also reflects in how we treat the earth you know being the ultimate expression of the great mother being the ultimate expression of the feminine of something that innately can create how we have defiled and destroyed her reflects our genuine like our general um, relationship with the feminine and so when I'm talking about leadership in this context, what I'm really talking about is not leading and shouting and fighting and, um, and like, yeah, that like if you look up leadership in the dictionary, it's actually a lot about being assertive and a lot about kind of masculine qualities. Mm. Whereas what I'm talking about is like, how can we understand that innately as people we have a sphere of influence and so instead of making that sphere of influence unconscious and projecting onto everyone else our judgments how can we bring consciousness into the fact that we are already leaders to our kids to our peers mm. to our workplaces to our colleagues and to our communities because what we have been taught as consumers is you are powerful but you are equally completely not right like what we've been taught in the capitalist system is you don't matter mm. what you do isn't important what you do can't change these massive power structures mm. and i'm all like if you really understood what you were from a spiritual standpoint you would be on your knees with like holy bananas i had no idea how powerful i was mm. but we've been taught to forget that and women have been taught to forget how powerful we are mm. um you look at any of the areas that women aren't expressed in and it is the areas where traditionally women are most powerful so in birth and in um in like you know the, the fields of natural medicine and you look at all these ways in which women's power has been silenced and we've been caused to not express it so leadership to me is like stepping into consciousness around the fact you are a leader and then choosing 
to have intention and to mold that leadership into something that really aligns with your soul's gifts. And I'll give you a really clear example. So if you are someone that naturally within your community people come to for advice around um, like say healing, like you, you really like herbs and you like giving your kids um, different aromatherapy stuff with essential oils and whatever, like you're already expressing that leadership, you just haven't really done it consciously. Mm. And so you bring consciousness to it and you suddenly be like, oh, if I look at all my values and if I look at um, all the relationships and I look at how I spend my time and money, there's actually a really good story here. Like mm. that book was asking me, like there's a, there's a story here around what I value and therefore what other people see my value as. So what if I cultivated that into a social vision for the future of the world I want to see? And then I organize all of my action to fit that, right? Like all of my action in everyday life, including what I do in my house, what I do outside my house, what I do for work, who I hang out with. You can organize your life around this purpose, this social vision, which becomes such a beautiful way to lead because mm. it's using your wholeness, your unique gifts no one's expecting you to be something you're not. You're just bringing consciousness to what you're already doing. And that's applicable from the home, your family, to business, to CEOs. Totally, totally. Yeah. So instead of having a vision for your life that revolves around um, how, many, how much money can I earn, which is traditionally what we've been taught... Mm -hmm. We revolve our lives around this social vision of what, at the end of our days, do we want to have contributed to? And full disclosure, the thing that we struggle the most with in this is letting go of attribution, of actually trusting that we're really powerful and that we're having an influence beyond what we can see in our, in our material reality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we yeah. want we want to see cause and effect. We want to be like, I did that. But actually setting back and being like, I trust that because I have this single pointed focus and this vision, I trust that my actions are leading to a greater contribution in the world. And I really believe that down to my core because I can see that I'm valuable and that I'm worthy of that vision, even if I can't see it manifesting into 3D reality before my eyes. Mm. You know, you look at, um, I, I was listening to Joe Dispenza this morning and he, in his book, The Habit of Breaking Yourself, he was saying, look at Mahatma Gandhi, look at these leaders who literally saw the future in their minds and refused to acknowledge how shit the world looked mm. under colonial, like India, under colonial control. What he saw was a vision beyond that. He didn't know if it would happen in his lifetime or not, but that, that was the vision he held. And mm. that's something that I think we can do. We just have to uncondition ourselves and unlearn how we've been programmed in the matrix of capitalism and patriarchy. You look like genuinely baffled. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not baffled. I mean, you talk about how to sort of un, untie that thinking from the structures of of capitalism and patriarchy and that's uh, that's huge that's that's no main feat 
patriarchy. Uh, I mean, it's it's so pervasive. It's so, you know, I don't want to say it's innate because it's not, but it's it's its influence begins so early and is so enveloping. Like, how, where do you begin? Well, this is the and this is the hilarious thing, right? Is it feels so big, mm. but you think about everyone aligning tiny little actions around their own social vision mm. and what that can do. Because when you step into your leadership, you step into your wholeness, you influence others to do the same because you're actually causing them discomfort in how they are. And this is the beautiful thing that ties it back to this conversation around well-being is if you just listen to what your body is telling you and the messages that your soul is sending to you Mm. through symptoms, through discomfort, through relationship trauma, not trauma, drama, you know, if you listen to those things and instead of turning away from that discomfort, you actually did what I had to do, which was turn inward, you would come to understand that the more you honour those whispers, the better it is for everyone else around you. Mm. And that is what social change is. And that's what I'm talking about with sacred social leadership. It's about bringing our own consciousness and our own toolkit of personal development stuff we've learned on the yoga mat and off and applying that with the social change we want to see in the world. And I'll give you an example of how that's happened in my life. So these inner triggers that I would keep coming up against of like judgment of other women, you know, Mm. of seeing other women fully expressed and being deep in judgment. Now that trigger was an opportunity for me to not be like, well, it's because uh, you know, going to victim mode and I could never be like that and that's because she's a bitch and she's probably like hurt all these people along the way and she's probably just a capitalist pig and like all those things, mm. literally my old stories. And looking at that trigger and being like, wow, there is a deep emotional attachment to that thing Mm. (laughs) because my body feels awful Mm. and now I'm coming up with all these stories and thoughts and so instead of like projecting that onto other people what if I actually took the time to work on that trigger to realize that that's an invitation to see the parts of myself that aren't expressed Mm. my relationship with money my relationship with power my relationship with finding my voice, my relationship, whatever it is. Mm. And then once I've done that internal work, I come out the other side, like more powerful, more fully expressed, Mm. more in my own truth, which when other people are around a woman that is powerful and in her own body, they are changed. They are changed on an energetic level. You are submitting, like emitting a different frequency. Mm. How you shop for your kids is different, mm. and so this is the the giant thing. Is it's it's not difficult, but what it requires is enough willingness and courage to and vulnerability to own our own shit and to not feel like we have to have it all together and to be deeply human mm. because the more deeply human we are and the connect, we can connect on that level mm. that's what's going to change the world too right mm. yeah I like that I think that's a good answer for the structures 
what about at a more personal level? So, yes, with your kids, it's it's not difficult to do because you're their role model, you're shaping their existence. What about with with our families, with the friends that have known us for 10 or 20 years and we have these patterns um, that, that are, again, they're, they're kind of set. Um, and families particularly, and, and, you know, mine's a good example of that, where expectations are where they are. And it's so hard to, to break free of those, those shackles and those expectations. Yeah. Such a good question. Mm. So there's kind of... Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because sometimes I have, like, gone away and created a whole world in my head <laughs> that you and I literally never talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and then I come out with it and it's, like, complete. Yeah. And you're like... Like, I just went out for enough. I went out for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Is that going to be one of those moments? It's going to be one of those moments. Yeah. So, like... I didn't even go anywhere. One of the principles of, of sacred social leadership, one is um, that we we trust in the universal laws and we actually allow ourselves to be surprised by the effect that we have, right? That we, that we actually can't control newsflash, we can't control all the things that we want to control. The second thing is really um, leaning into this idea that we are not saviours, Mm. that changing the world is not about projecting your shit onto someone else and then wanting to fix them because what that is that's codependency mm-hmm. and that's what we've learned through charity it's this idea through white saviorism through colonialism through these structures through patriarchy we've learned and capitalism we've learned that we see a victim we project onto them something that's usually around making us feel better. So whenever there's judgment, it's usually that we're trying to like place ourselves on a hierarchy that is above someone else. Mm-hmm. And so we've come to like embody this idea of social change being, I need to fix someone. I need to change someone. Like whether they consent or not, mm. I need to fix them because I want to contribute. Mm. And so sacred social leadership is about owning all of those projections and alchemizing them in your body, stepping into your own power and then letting it go because you cannot change another person. You cannot. But the more that you honor and follow those like breadcrumbs of symptoms and discomfort inwards and call back your own power the more one or two things is going to happen. One, that person will no longer be in your life, Mm -hmm. which is a win-win possibly because they're getting triggered and you're getting triggered Mm -hmm. and they're going to go on their own journey and you're just going to be on different paths and that's okay. Or two, they're going to get uncomfortable enough that they do something about it because what they're going to see in you is a sense of power and peace that they may or may not wish to embody themselves. And so I see changing the world much more from this, like how do we step into our own power energetically and emit this different frequency? And then how does that become catalytic in our families? Mm. In our and, and you've got to talk about with families, again, letting go of like your timeline 
it may not be our generation or the next generation or the next generation like our mums our mums mums each of us has been doing things for the next generation that is hopefully equipping them to deal with the world that they're going to deal with and Mm. we have to trust at the end of the day that that's enough Mm. um that's hard that's hard work um I'll just say, sorry, I'll just say one more thing on that before we wrap up. We need to, I feel very strongly that we need to overcome this idea that it's about self-sacrifice and martyrdom and that it is mutually exclusive that we can be well and in pleasure and enjoy and Mm. contribute because I really believe, and this is the sick joke, that the more you are in yourself and fully expressed, that the better that is for the world, full stop. If it is truly in alignment with those inner whispers rather than just greed, then that is good for the world. You being in your pleasure shows other people that it's possible. You being in your... And it's not about like I'm better than you or I'm so much more... Like this is what I hate with the spiritual world. Like I'm so much more like awakened than you. Everyone is on their own journey and that has to be enough everyone is doing the absolute best they can but how do you feel in your own bones like how do you feel within yourself that has to be part of the measure of success here too so are you just having a moment because Chester's what's he doing oh I mean he's just in his own world isn't he I mean talk about um uh just being who you are and owning it um and sacred social leadership i think our dog chester is um is really my role model in this journey um (laughs) he just does him doesn't he and you as well obviously but (laughs) i saw um my mum sent me a photo today of um her dog parker and she'd taken um my niece and nephew down to the boathouse and there was a photo of Parker, like, in the boat out on the water. And I was just like, can you imagine Chester in that situation? Like, he would be horrific. He would be the worst. He would panic mm-hmm. and just make, a, like, a, a dash for the shore and probably sink the boat on the way. Yeah, but he is who he is, and that's why we love him. Um, I think we're, we're getting <laughs> diverted now. <laughs> Um, what's your like what's your definition of leadership like how's your definition of leadership you came from a very masculine environment like working with military and defense like how has your definition changed as you've mm. gone through a journey of your own awakening but also Chester's now he heard his name now, he's now he heard here. his name so he, he came to the microphone <laughs> Um, you've gone like to work within social organisations but mm-hmm. you've also been going on your own journey like spurred on by conscious parenting like you've got a bit of a crush on Dr Shivali mm-hmm. conscious parenting but your own you know awakening too like where have you landed with it yeah it's interesting I, I guess I, I didn't have the degree of self-awareness or self-reflection when I was in my early 20s starting my career you know, in defence um, and in government. So I was on a journey, I guess, in, 
with, with blinkers on really and you know I probably was an outlier doing what I was doing in terms of my view to leadership and social justice and, and the way the world or the way I thought the world should work and, and I've come into that a lot more you know over the years I don't know if I have a good answer as to what I see leadership as now um, but like what do you aspire to be as a leader well just the, the role model for others and living my life in a way that I can be proud of um, that I think is is having a positive impact on those you know directly around me um, and that I think is most prominently um, sort of exhibited with with our kids and and that's where it really does come so personal and so um, so from the heart um, that I think that's been a really a really powerful experience for me and um, has brought much more light into into playing that role in a much more conscious way and you know I think it speaks to to everything that you've been talking about for the last hour and what you've been talking about for the last number of months and years um but in a much more conscious way for me um and it it has been a gradual transformation for me um and that's that is who i am for 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 better or for your own frustrations with no we balance each other yeah i think that's true um so, yeah, I think it's it's been a gradual journey, and um, yeah, I think it's I think it's evolving though still too. Yeah, it's evolving still, but I think it's it really does complement where where you are and and where we want to be going as well. So, mm. so I think it's a happy ending. I you speak to you know the fact that I think unless you have suffered. A, a considerable a considerable amount of irreversible trauma yeah um in your and we've all been traumatized to a certain extent that we do have a moral compass that you know you've done a lot of work in this area around moral compasses and and mm. what keeps societies the fabric of societies together and i think it's that thing of if you can sleep at night um it's not as simplistic as that but there is something in what you said around um number one like having our sphere of influence be more immediate than we think and focusing mm. there number two in like how important parenting is in order to change this intergenerationally mm. and i got a text message from a friend today you know i was having a wobble last night about you know am i a good mom and it sounds so self-indulgent now i say it but <laughs> i often have wobbles you know you you know like that that area is is full of um pain and discomfort for me sometimes Mm. and my anxiety goes through the roof and she just said please know you are a good mum and she said it's all in the talking the listening and the loving and then she said the loving in capital letters and a million exclamation marks and I think at the end of the day it can be as simple or as complicated as like did you love deeply today and unconditionally Mm. because at the end of the day you talk about 
social change like all people want is to feel loved Mm. but the thing that stops us from expressing that is our own baggage around when we did or didn't receive love and if we can work through that we can lead as Jada Selna says in her podcast one of my favorite podcasts like how do we lead with love like how Mm. do we lead from that place of being open-hearted but with firm boundaries around our own needs but how do we love, like unconditionally love mm. our kids so mm. that they know above all else that they matter? Mm. Yeah, it's so true. I was just thinking back at my career as well and it's gone from government and nation states to societies to communities to individuals, to people. Yeah. And that really does mirror, um, I think, that that self journey as well that that I've been on that you've been on as well it's that thing of like um it's that thing of really understanding I think you know as as a young woman I wanted to save the world and then I realized I needed to save myself and Mm. parent myself and then now I'm like oh my god we can change the world but our sphere of influence is simultaneously so much smaller but so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. And that's where I'm at. Mm. Well, we change the world by, by being ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I really agree with that. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Meg. <laughs> what a blast. <laughs> what a blast. I actually really enjoyed this convo and I think people are going to get a lot out of it and I appreciate Yeah, I hope so. Um, should we do it again next Bachelor Night? No, next Bachelor Night is my my night. The one after, maybe. <laughs> I want to talk about patriarchy. Yeah. Okay, let's do it again sometime. All right. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye.